Okay, so I'm, I'm starting a new series tonight. Um, the topic is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. The baptism with the Holy Spirit. I don't know how long this is gonna last. Just so you know, if you haven't been here before, I don't ever come here with notes. God told me when I get up in front of people to trust him to tell me what to talk about. So that's just how this class works. So it doesn't always go in the way I thought it was going to. Let me just say that up front. Um, but I want to start with my testimony of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then I think what I'm going to do tonight is kind of draw, highlight the difference between what, getting saved, getting baptized in water, and getting baptized with the Holy Spirit. Three different things. Okay? So um, I have been a Christian pretty much my whole life. I grew up in a, a Christian family. Um, I had different seasons where I was closer to God and seasons where I wasn't walking with him so much, but he always loved me and never left me, no matter how poorly of a job, no matter what I was doing, okay? And then, um, someone started telling me about this thing called the baptism with the Holy Spirit, which I had never heard of. Um, but they were telling me, you need to receive this. And I didn't know what it was, but I was at a meeting where someone was talking about it, and they called people up, at, up to the front to receive it. So I said, well, what the heck? What do I got to lose? So I went up to the front, and um, the guy had everybody in a line, and I had gone with a friend of mine, and he, he prayed for my friend, and she fell over in the floor. And I had never seen that. I was like, what is this? And she, when she fell down, she started speaking in tongues. Now, I grew up in an environment, not because of my parents, but just the church we went to and stuff like that. That was really looked down upon. And actually, sometimes people would say that was from the devil. You've heard that before. Has anybody else heard that? Look at that. 1 Corinthians 14, 39 says, Do not forbid speaking in tongues. So how can it be from the devil? But anyway, but I had, I didn't know how to think about that, really. But when she spoke in tongues, she's, she's my friend, I know it's real. Because she's not trying to trick me, I know her. And then he got to me and he prayed for me. And I was like, what? Like nothing happened. And he kept going down the line, praying for different people. And so we left that meeting, and I'm wondering, like, well, what am I, chopped liver? Like, <laughs> why, what, what's the deal? Maybe I'm not ready. Maybe that's not for everybody. Maybe I didn't know, I didn't know how to think about it. <clears throat> um, and then over the next several years, every now and then, I would come across someone telling some stories about God doing amazing things, and I would always be drawn to that and I would ask these people some questions and throughout the conversation they would say you need to get baptized with the Holy Spirit and see, I never understood I thought well I thought you got that when you got saved I thought the Holy Spirit comes to live with you when you get saved which is true and they would say no that's something else and I would not I didn't know how to think about it but every now and then I would go up for prayer when I was somewhere where they were doing that and they would pray for me, and sometimes that I would be surrounded by people yelling and stuff like that. Anybody ever been there? 
don't do that to people. And, but I would always walk away like, well, I guess that's not for me, or I don't know what to, I guess it's not my time, or maybe it's never my time. I didn't know how to think about it. <clears throat> then um, I met my wife, we got married, and she got really sick right after we got married. Um, really sick. And she, um, she had two incurable conditions that basically put her in a wheelchair, and she also lost use of both arms. And on top of that, she was in excruciating pain pretty much 24 hours a day, along with a bunch of other stuff. And so four years go by, and um, one night she is with some people, and someone prayed for her, and she got baptized with the Holy Spirit and started speaking in tongues before she got healed. And so now my wife has received it. And so I'm, my interest is perking back up again. Hey, maybe, maybe it's my time. And so I had those same people pray for me, and nothing happened again. This whole time, I'm expecting when someone prays for me, God's going to do something to my mouth or make me do something. Like he's going to take over my body. Which, by the way, is not how it works. Okay? But I didn't know that. So... One day at work, I get invited to a Bible study where there's a guy teaching a Bible study about healing. And I go there to find out if we can pray for my wife. When I walk in the room, the man teaching the Bible study is the same man that prayed for me to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit 10 years earlier and I didn't receive it. Which is kind of weird. <laughs> His name's Bill Alsop. And um. I asked him if we could pray for my wife to be healed. He said, sure. He invited us over to his home. We went over that Friday night, and they're praying for my wife to be healed. Now, he doesn't know me at all. All he knows is here's a guy bringing his wife over to get prayed for for healing. That's about it. They're praying for my wife to get healed. She's kind of laying in the floor. And him and his wife are praying, and in the middle of the prayer, he said, get up. And she could walk about 50 feet or so before she would collapse. And he took her to the front door and he said, I want you to walk to the end of my street and turn left and walk up the hill and go up there and touch those mailboxes that are up there and come back and just talk to God the whole way. And so she took off out the front door. And I'm sitting there thinking, she can't walk. What are you doing? What is this? But before I had time to object, he came back in the living room and pointed his finger at me. He has a very long finger. <laughs> and he said, you have been praying to get baptized with the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. And I thought, how in the heck do you know that? How does, how does he know that? So this is my thought process. How does he know that? He can't know that. This must be God talking to me. Okay? And I said, yes, I have for 10 years. And he said, well, get up because you're going to get it right now. Amen. So I said, well, it was God the first time. I'm just going to go with this. <laughs> that doesn't always work out, but it did for me. So I got up, and he said, put your hands in the air. And then he put his hand on my chest, and then God spoke to me through his mouth again. And he said, listen to this. Don't try to figure it out. Just speak. God knows how he made my brain. 
and I have a very analytical brain that likes to put things in a flow chart and a spreadsheet and ones and zeros and I work on computers all day and that's how my brain works. So I had thought if you research it enough then you'll receive it. That's how my approach to most things in life is sometimes if I don't watch myself. But I just said, well, what the heck, I'm just going to go for it. And so I started speaking, and God met me right there. And when I started to speak, I started speaking in tongues. And for me, this is different for everybody, this next part, but it felt like a flood of God's presence just came over me. I don't know how to describe it. It's like the air got thicker. And I'm praying in tongues, and I didn't realize it at the time, but I know now later I'm interceding and I'm also worshiping. And I did that for, I don't know how long I did that, and then I stopped, and then, then I thought, what, I wonder what happened to my wife. Because <laughs> she had, could have been laying at the end of the driveway for, for all I knew. And I looked over and she was standing at the front door healed. She had made it the whole way. She walked about four blocks totally healed man that was awesome and so I sat down on the couch as she came back in there and listen to the the first thought that came to my head now was did I do it right when I prayed in tongues did I do it right I'm already trying to go back into mental analysis of a spiritual action that doesn't work by the way I'm trying to take the power of God and put it into my spreadsheet how would I know if I did it right? What would I compare it to? Good luck with that. What I found out was you can't do it right or wrong. You just do it. Okay? So after that, um, I went home and I started, he told me just to do it, just pray in tongues. And I started studying the Bible and and. and talking to Bill, and I learned a lot about the benefits that come with the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And I started seeing them happen in my life. And we're going to cover those, probably not tonight, but we're going to go through some of that stuff. What happens as a result of the baptism of the Holy Spirit as you use your power to speak in tongues? And so um, I started having different things happen, and God started changing things about me. And I didn't always notice it. My wife would notice it. Like she said one day, how do you know all these Bible verses all of a sudden? And I said, what are you talking about? She said, everywhere we go, you're, every time there's a teaching, you're quoting all these Bible verses. And see, I, did, that, I was never able to do that before I got baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so when God baptized me with the Holy Spirit, he called me to teach, and he amplified part of my calling by giving me, when I teach, it's like I have a Rolodex of Bible verses that are going through my head telling me the next one to go to. Or someone will come ask me a question and it's like I see it on the page and I know where it is. And I cannot explain to you how that works and I am not in control of it. But when I get up here, it happens. Okay? Like I can't go on a Bible quiz show on TV and win. I mean, I don't know, but that's not usually how it works. It's usually when it, somebody needs it, it's there. <clears throat> it's really neat. Um, and then, so I, did a, I spent a lot of time researching it because what I wanted to do was find out what happened to me and I want to answer all those questions I had all those years. Okay? 
So I spent probably two years on that one subject, just studying it and reading books and talking to people. How did it happen to you? What's going, you know, and I spent a lot of time. Then I started teaching groups about it and trying to learn how to pray for other people to receive it. And then one night, God gave me my first vision I've ever had. And it's the strongest one I've ever had. And what I, in my vision, <clears throat> I was standing on the bank of a, it looked like a lake. And everything was like gold looking. It was like someone put a gold filter over the camera. And I'm standing on the bank and there's a tree on my right. <clears throat> and then I saw somebody walk down into the water and turn around. And I could not see his face, but I knew it was Jesus. And he was standing there doing this in the water. <clears throat> and when I saw that, God was telling me that I was going to get to see a lot of people get baptized in the Holy Spirit by Jesus. Because the water was representing the Holy Spirit. And Jesus baptizes people in the Holy Spirit. That's one thing he does. <clears throat> and so he trained me in how to lead people to receive it. And since then, I know I've got to pray for over 200 people to get baptized with the Holy Spirit. I mean, I, I lost count at 200. But that's something that's a regular part of what I do. People come to my office at work and get prayed for and get baptized with the Holy Spirit in my job. We do it in here. So anyway, that's my experience up to now. So that's what I'm going to be speaking out of. Now, one thing I like to do is go through some of the common areas of confusion that people have. And the, most of these I spent a considerable amount of time in myself. So the first one I want to talk about <clears throat> is the difference between getting saved, getting baptized in water, and getting baptized with the Holy Spirit. Because those are three different things. And I always mix them together. Has anybody ever had a confusion in that area? I know I'm not the only one. <clears throat> yeah. So what I want to do right now, I want to talk about getting saved and what, that, what the purpose of that is, what are the results of that. So if you'll turn with me to John chapter 1. Any questions for me about my testimony or any of that stuff I just shared? Okay. 1439. And see, I'm assuming that's what it is because that's a number that popped into my head. That's it? Yeah. Right. And I don't know how that works. But it, it yeah, you're trying to trick me. <clears throat> okay, so John chapter 1. Looks like we're getting another storm. John 1, verse 11. Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Talking about the nation of Israel. Verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay. So when it tells us 
how to the instructions how to become children of God what does it say you're supposed to do in John 1 12 and John 1 verse 12 there's two things in there what's that believe believe and accept and some translations will say receive does anybody's Bible say that receive what about um, changing your uh, changing the way you live what about going to church what about um, changing the, your behavior none of those are conditions okay it is believe in Jesus and receive him and you can put those together believe and receive and when you do this it tells you you have the right to become children of God and it says that, that at that point you were not no longer considered born of man but now you are born of God the moment you believe in Jesus and receive him as your Savior you become a child of God and you are now considered to be born of God when I say children of God born of God what does that make you think of what kind of thoughts come to mind he said relationship that's very good relationship as opposed to being in a religion there's no religious activities up here Anita and why does this bring up the word transformation uh-huh okay did everybody hear that she said we're used to thinking naturally being born naturally like through childbirth but this makes you start think of being born spiritually it makes you think about yourself differently is that yeah yes adoption okay and what makes you say that? Because we were, we were an orphan and then we got adopted into his family. So did everybody hear that? He said we were like orphans, and now, but now we've been adopted into his family. It talks about being adopted into his family in Ephesians 1 and in Galatians 3. Jason. Does it say lineage? Lineage. I like that. lineage or heir what do you think about being an heir of God now because you're his children how does that sound that sounds pretty good doesn't it I think I'll take that rich rich I think Romans eight sixteen says that we are um, 
his heirs. Can somebody look that up? Romans 8, 16. Romans 8, 16. What does it say? Can you read it out loud? And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. 8.16. Yes. So we are co-heirs with Christ, okay? Co-heirs with Christ. So you get the same inheritance Jesus gets. What do you think about that? That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? You get the same inheritance Jesus did. If you have an inheritance that rich, I think I would want to spend some time finding out what that is. Don't you think? There's another word I'm looking for in here. It's nature. You get God's nature. You get the nature of your parent to some degree. And when you're born of God, you get his nature. God's nature. Okay? You have another influence on the inside of you now. You are children of God. You have his nature. That is awesome. Now, uh, we're in John still. Go over to chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 1. John 3, verse 1 says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born again. Now in the Greek there, some translation, the word means two things. Born again. And does anybody have a different word there? Born from above. born from above. Born again, born from above. It's highlighting your royal lineage that you have now. You are now royalty on top of everything else. You are a member of the king's family. So you were like a prince or a princess. And then he goes on ahead here and says this. Nicodemus said, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
that which is born of the flesh is flesh that which is born of the spirit is spirit do not marvel that I said you must be born again the wind blows where it wishes and you cannot hear the sound of it and you hear the sound of it but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes so is everyone who is born of the spirit so this says you are born again born from above born of spirit born of spirit this is a and born of God those things happen the moment you believe in Jesus the moment you put your faith in him I want to come back to this born of spirit but I want to finish that thought go in John 3 down to verse 16 John 3 16 this is the same conversation with Nicodemus for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life everlasting life or life eternal now this is something I didn't used to understand I thought eternal life began when you die but eternal life begins when you believe in Jesus your eternal life has already started if you have put your faith in him that's interesting to think about then he says this God I wish the whole world could hear John 3:17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world how about that isn't that awesome but that the world through him might be saved Jesus did not come here on a finger-pointing mission he came here on a rescue mission verse 18 he who believes in him is not condemned but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God so I like to draw this math equation here if you believe then you are not condemned but if you do not believe then you are condemned is that an accurate representation of John 3:18? okay so what factor affects whether or not a person is condemned what they believe not what they do I think this is lost on a lot of people because you can be the worst person that ever lived but if at some point you believe in Jesus as your Savior you are not and will never ever be condemned by God he did not put your behavior in the equation of whether or not you're condemned and likewise someone can be the best person ever they give money to the poor they let people in front of them in line at Target they don't get mad when someone cuts them off in traffic right they're always nice 
but they don't believe in Jesus, condemned. If you believe in Jesus, you will not be condemned. But if you don't, you will be condemned. Jesus came to give a way out. The whole world was condemned. And he came and gave, this is so easy, believe in Jesus. You don't even have to do anything. There are no hoops to jump through. There are no religious ceremonies you have to do. There's no years of service and climbing the ladder. What do y'all think about that? Great. Isn't that great? What a relief. No pressure. No pressure. It tells us in Colossians 2, 14 through 16, that he has wiped out the handwriting of requirements. There's no requirements. That's hard to believe, isn't it? That doesn't sound like what a lot of religion wants to tell you. But Jesus did not come to start a religion. He came to start a family and a kingdom. And if you believe in him, then you're in his family. He made it that easy. It doesn't cost you, you don't have to pay fines. Right? You don't have to travel to the Holy Land three times a year. She said in society, if someone behaves badly, that's not what happens. That's true. But that's not how it is with God. What? If you don't, if you believe, then you don't behave badly. That's usually the result. But it's not a requirement. That's a very important distinction. You believe God and you come into his family and your behavior changes as a result, not as a prerequisite. Repentance? What do you mean by repentance? As long as we define repentance the way it's in the Greek. So repentance... It's built into this belief. Repentance, the Greek word is metanoia, and the word means change your thinking. Or it means think differently. Change your thinking or think differently. That is what this word in the Greek means, and it's translated repent in the Bible. So when they say repent and believe, what they say is change your mind about Jesus. They, the Jews thought he was a heretic, but he's the son of God. Repent. Change your mind. Unfortunately, religion has redefined the word repent and made it say feel bad, feel guilty. Yes, sir? Uh, the greatest example I have for this of believe and not condemn is twofold. One, the, the man on the cross next to Jesus. The man on the cross next to Jesus. The second is in our 
Great point. So he, he, he mentioned two people as the greatest examples he knows of. One of them is the thief that's hung on the cross next to Jesus. And I love that God included that in the story because here is a convicted criminal who's done something to deserve the death penalty who has nothing to offer except to hang there for a couple of more hours. That's all he has to offer. God's not getting any performance out of this guy. And he says to Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me, meaning that he believed in Jesus. And Jesus told him, today you will be with me in paradise. Okay? That man did not ever go to church. He never took communion. He never got baptized in water. Okay? I'm not against those things, but those things are not required to get saved. Okay? Everybody got that? And then he mentioned another man named Ted Bundy, a serial killer, who was, if I want to talk about one of the worst people, that would, that would be up there based on our society. But at the end of his life, he, he changed his mind and became a believer in Jesus and got born again. And he is not condemned. Hallelujah. What an awesome God we serve. If he's not condemned, you're not condemned either. There's no, there's no grading on a scale. Your behavior is not in the, picks, in the picture. It's not in the mix. For some reason, I'm having to keep harping on this. So I feel like this is for somebody in here. God saves people because of his goodness, not because of their goodness. God loved the world first, sent his son, and then we respond to God's goodness by believing or rejecting. You, you have the right to reject Jesus or you have the right to believe and receive. But outside of believing in Jesus as your Savior, there are no other requirements for you to enter God's family, to enter his kingdom. That is wonderful news. If you have believed in Jesus, you are a child of God with the full rights inheritance. That happens immediately the second that you believe. Okay. Any, that was a good comment. Any, any questions or comments on that? Now, I want to talk about this born of spirit here now. A human being is a spirit being that has a soul and lives inside of a body. But you are not your body. Your body is temporary. Does everybody know that? Hopefully we all know that. Your body is temporary, but your spirit is eternal. Okay? And your spirit, that is you. That's the part of you that goes on to be with the Lord after you die, if you've believed in Jesus. Okay? So your body is your physical body. Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions, stuff like that. Okay? 
God gave us a mind to think. God gave us a free will. God gave us emotions. Those are all, they can, all three of those can be good or bad depending on how you use them. You can use your mind for good. You can use it for evil. They're not good or evil just by themselves. Okay? You can think good thoughts. You can think bad thoughts. That's up to you. Your spirit was made for communion or fellowship and communication with God. That's the purpose of your spirit, among other things. It also performs a function very similar to what we would think of as a, a conscience. Conscience. A conscience. Yes. I'm not comfortable saying that your spirit is synonymous with your conscience, but it performs a similar function. I am confident in saying that. Okay? So that's your spirit. Now the Bible tells us in John 3, we just read, that when you believe in God, when you believe in Jesus, you are born again, born of spirit. Born of spirit. So keep that in mind and let's turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, just speaking from my own personal experience, and I would imagine that everyone in here's experience is going to be similar to mine. When I believed in Jesus, this says, I become a new creation and all things become new. So something changes. But I know that my body did not change the day I got saved. Like if I was a chubby eight-year-old kid in the Baptist church the day I got saved and I'm four feet tall, then I'm still four feet tall ten minutes later. Nothing changed. My body did not change when I got saved. Also, my soul did not change. If I was thinking messed up thoughts before, the day before I got saved, my thinking is very, going to be very similar the day after. The Bible tells us that our mind changes as a process over time. That's Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Changing the way you think and your emotional responses and your will is a, is a process that happens over time. That is not something that happens immediately. Is that everybody in here's experience? When you got saved, did all of your thinking become perfect? No. Did your emotional reactions become perfect? No. Did your choices become 100% godly? No. 
And if you say yes, then you're lying. And so you're not doing it. But something did change. Something became brand new. And that something is your spirit. Now you don't have to turn there. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 17 says this. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. It tells us that the Holy Spirit, when you get saved, comes to live inside of your human spirit somehow. To me, it makes it sound like here's your spirit, here's the Holy Spirit, and you're joined together. It's an intimate, close relationship. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in your spirit. And that's where God usually talks to us. Now let's talk about a, a couple of scenarios. If God tells you something on the inside of you, in your spirit, then you know it to be true, even though you haven't figured it out with your mind. Has anyone experienced that? And then if that, if that communication from God to you includes some instructions you are likely, if you are like most everybody else, to have some kind of argument inside of yourself. I'm not doing that. That doesn't make any sense. Or I'm, that's uncomfortable. I don't want to do that. Has God ever told you to do something and you didn't go do it because you had some kind of mental argument in your head? I know I'm not the only one. It's okay. Everybody does that. You know why? You're not condemned if you do that. Isn't that great? God can tell you and you can be absolutely disobedient and you're not condemned. Isn't that wonderful? But God is talking to you in your spirit. And he tells you things. It's not in your mind. It's not a result of calculations. Okay? So he is communicating with you in your spirit. And then over time, as your mind, will, and emotions become transformed by you relating to God... Believing his word, your Christian experience, you're more likely to agree with God's direction and go along with it. So you might know what I'm talking about. Like over time, you get to where you trust that voice of God speaking to you in your spirit. Now all of this is the result of believing in Jesus and receiving salvation, becoming a child of God. None of this has anything to do with getting baptized in water or getting baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay? The Bible tells... Skip, did you have something? Yeah, when you accept Christ, that Holy Spirit that lives inside your spirit, can you separate that ever? I've had a lot of people say that I've removed myself from God. And how could you remove yourself from God? They thought they sinned so that therefore they're not connected to God. Then they need to read John 3.18. Right? Your sins have no effect on whether the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Now, I used to be told that if you sinned, the Holy Spirit would not leave. Or he would lift. Has anybody ever heard that? And his name is the helper. What kind of helper leaves when you need help? 
That makes no sense. He didn't come to live inside of me because I finally stopped sinning. Whether he lives inside of me or not has nothing to do with how much I sin. It has to do with whether did I believe and receive. Remember? If you have believed in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is inside of you 24 hours a day, no matter how good or bad you're behaving that day. Can I get an amen on that? Isn't that good news? This is the thing that people keep getting stuck on. God is not going to use me because I've sinned too much. Or God is not going to talk to me because I've sinned too much. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hand, but I bet everyone in here has those thoughts crossed their mind. But in Hebrews chapter 4, I think it's verse 15 and 16, it's the last two verses of, the, of that chapter in Hebrews 4. It says that we come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. The throne of grace, not the throne of judgment. To find help in time of need. Well, when you're stuck in some kind of horrible sin, that's when you need. That's the time of need. And it says we can find grace to help. Grace means unmerited, undeserved goodwill. Goodwill towards someone who deserves bad. In order to qualify for grace, you have to not deserve it. If you don't deserve it, that's the one thing that makes you eligible. Grace is only available to someone who doesn't deserve it. Why can't we understand that? You are not supposed to earn it, you're supposed to receive it. Grace is not a reward. Grace is you deserve bad and you get good. We live a life of sin, but we believe in God, and he gives us eternal inheritance. That is grace. You deserve punishment, and you get eternal rewards. That's grace. Sin is bad. I'm not saying that, okay? So in case you're wondering, I believe that sin is bad. I don't believe it's a good idea. Okay? But sin does not make the Holy Spirit leave. All right? Questions on that? Nothing can separate us. Nothing can separate us. That's at the end of Romans 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. And when we start to believe that, you really have peace in your life that God's not out to get you. How would you learn that? Let's say that you made a mistake. How are you going to learn that? How are you going to not repeat the same sin? Is that your question? I mean, usually, 
So, let, well, let me separate this, okay? If I want to make poor choices with my life, there are going to be consequences. But that doesn't mean God is doing that to me. Okay? Let's say I decided I want to be a bank robber. And I go start robbing banks, and I get caught, and I go to jail, and I get a life sentence in jail. And I have ruined my life. But I'm, God still loves me. I still have an eternal inheritance. And God did not put me in jail. Okay? We have to separate the natural consequences for behaving unwisely from how God sees us. God sees you as a new creation. Okay? I don't have time to everybody to turn to all these, but if you want to write them down, Ephesians 4:24 says that you should put on the new man, the new creation, which was created in God in righteousness and true holiness. So your spirit is righteous and holy in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 10 it says that you are sanctified which is the same as holy that's something that's already happened Hebrews 10 14 says that you have been perfected forever So there's nothing wrong with your spirit. Your spirit is flawless. Whenever you're in a situation where you know you do the right thing, but part of you wants to do the wrong thing, the part of you that wants to do the right thing is your spirit. Your spirit always wants to follow God. Your mind, your will, and your emotions may or may not, depending on whatever other factors are going on. Okay? For some reason, this is very important because I was not planning on spending this much time on this. So, who has, who has questions on this? Yes? Yes. And instead it becomes a tool of um, extortion or behavior modification. You have to do well. God's going to leave you. Do you have a comment on that? So I have been in environments like that. So she said instead, instead of people believing the truth of the gospel, which is what we've been talking about the last 30 minutes, a lot of A lot of people believe and teach the opposite of that. That if you don't get your life together, then God's going to take the Holy Spirit from you. Or God's going to start punishing you. Right? But if God punishes us, then He is not keeping His promise that we're not going to be condemned. Yes?
That's very, that's a very important fact. So in case you didn't hear what she said, 2,000 years ago when Jesus died for the sins of the world, which is John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. I wasn't even born yet, so I hadn't even committed any sins yet. But his payment was enough to cover everything I would ever do. So when I believe in Jesus, all my sins are already forgiven. I'm just now believing and receiving it. And so it doesn't matter if it's past, present, or future sins, all of them are already forgiven. They were forgiven before I was born. And so were yours. How about that? Yes. Yeah. Paul talks about just you know uh, can we sin? Right. If you have received uh, just the grace or uh, freely, and can we just you know sin more and receive the grace more? He says certainly not. Right. So just you know the the sins will not just you know uh, uh, cannot separate with uh, just you know us. So just uh, with uh, just uh, God's spirit, but just we put us under the. Uh, the authority of the, 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 the sad and, and yeah so he's quoting from Romans chapter 6 and there's two verses in Romans 6 that say this I'm going to read one of them is Romans 6 1 Paul says what shall we say then shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound okay and the answer to that is obviously no should we continue sinning since we're already forgiven no that's a that's a poor that is unwise because sin always leads to death even if it's just incremental in some area sin is, is going to take you where you don't want to go you're going to end up in situations you don't want to be in like i said sin is bad and don't do it but even if you do it's already forgiven so from god's view of you there is no sin the new covenant roman hebrews chapter 8 verse 12 if you highlight your bible highlight that one and memorize it the new covenant god promises you i will be merciful this is god speaking to you i will be merciful to your unrighteousness and your sins and your lawless deeds i will remember no more God has promised you that he is not remembering your sins. So he doesn't have an Excel spreadsheet with 1970. <laughs> Correct. And see, I had been taught before that someday after you die, you're going to go and there's going to be a big movie screen and you see all the sins of your life. Has anyone ever been told that? If that's true, then God did not keep his promise. But God keeps his promise. He promised us he's not keeping track of that stuff. But just because he's not keeping track of it, does that mean you should go sin all the time? No. To me, that's, that's a lack of wisdom. That is stupid. Let me say it that way. But God loves you, stupid. <laughs> what? Well, the Holy Spirit does not enjoy sin. 
and your spirit does not enjoy sin. Right. So when you sin, your spirit lets you know that. This isn't who we are. We're righteous. We don't behave like this. Okay? That's how Paul always corrects behavior in the Bible. He reminds people of their righteousness and says, we don't behave that way. We're righteous. He doesn't say, you better get it together or you're going to get it. Okay? Okay? Great point. So here's another verse for you. Ephesians 1.14 says that you, when you have believed, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Let me draw some Holy Spirit seal going on here. So your spirit is vacuum packed with the Holy Spirit. You're encased in him. And the Greek word also implies like when they would seal a document, they would put wax on it and put the ring in there and leave an imprint. That's the word that's used here. So you have been stamped and sealed with the Holy Spirit. So the enemy is never going to mess with you in your spirit because that's stupid. That don't work. That's why when you get tempted, it's always in your mind, your will, your emotions, or even symptoms on your body when it's coming from the enemy. Okay? Yes? That's right. That's a great point. You get to choose to allow the Holy Spirit to influence your life or not. And he's living in there, and you have all that available to you, but that's up to you. You don't have to cooperate. But I will tell you, you it's better if you do. He knows a thing or two about living right he's eternal he's been around the mountain once or twice skip I really like the definition you have of repent because it gives me much more comfort knowing that i've changed my way of thinking i've renewed my mind uh-huh. but i think the old man in me wants to take a whip and beat myself with it to say you've been bad so you got to pay for it but i don't have to so that's how right we yeah we are not supposed to pay for our sins that's been already paid for and it would be an unjust judge to have people pay for the same thing twice. To have Jesus pay for your sins and you pay for them. Right? That's not justice. It's also something I don't have to beg for. It's also something you don't have to beg for. It's something you need to believe. You need to believe that God forgave all of your sins. Because he did. And you believing that doesn't make him forgive you. It lets you enjoy the fact that you're forgiven. Right? Yeah. Tina. And even when we, we believe it, the enemy sometimes will try to lie and make us think that we're not believing it and fall back into that. And we have the authority to say, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'm going to believe what it says. I am forgiven. Yes. If I don't feel it in the moment. We can still speak the truth. Yes. 
And that was a struggle I had for a, because of my religious background. I wasn't. I didn't understand these things I'm talking about here. I thought the way it. Nobody ever came out and said this, but this is kind of the way it seemed based on the way people acted. God is mad at the world. But you filthy sinners. And if you will beg and grovel and prove how sorry you are, then he will let you in, but he's still kind of mad. Okay? Okay? That's just, that's because of the way salvation was presented to me when I was eight years old. So I always had that view of God up there ready to get you. So you bet, just try to stay under the radar. That's terrible, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then another thing I thought, they would present it, come as you are. And God wants to save everybody and forgive you and just come as you are. And so you come and you get saved, and now that you're saved, the message changes. You better get it together now. You better get to work. Like if you're a dirty sinner, then everything's free. But once you're in the family, you've got to start paying, paying your way. That's not true. You get everything for free. You just have to believe it. Anita. Very painful self-help program, yeah. Okay. A couple of more things I want to say. We could go on about this for a long time. But in um, Galatians chapter 5, I think it's verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. Can somebody read that? Galatians 5:22. Let me turn there. The fruit of the Spirit. Okay, hold on. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Listen to this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of that stuff is in your spirit right now. You already have patience and joy and all of that. You just need to believe it and let it show up on the outside. I love that. Fruit grows over time, right? And so you need, if you have struggle with patience, then why don't, you, why don't you let this be your prayer? Father, I thank you that you put patience inside of my spirit. And so I believe that I'm patient. So I just call that up. And Father, may your patience influence my thinking. Instead of God, please give me something you already gave me. It helps you a whole lot when you believe the truth that he already put it in you. Rather than you have to do something to get him to give it to you. All right? Yes. Going back to your equations and so forth. The equations?
Yeah. So those are, those are, so think of, think of this. In a kingdom, like this, let's go back to ancient times where there were kingdoms, okay? And if you came into a kingdom and you saw the citizens of that kingdom walking around in very nice clothes and everybody's polite and generous and loving and kind and all of that, what are you going to think about the king of that kingdom? You're going to think he's pretty awesome. Now what if you leave that kingdom and you go over to another kingdom where everybody's miserable and limping around and gossiping and yelling at each other and killing each other? What are you going to think about the king of that kingdom? Not good. Okay. So our behavior should be a reflection of the culture of our kingdom. Okay? Rather than a way to enter the kingdom. And so your behavior change is a way to reflect the character of your father. Rather than a way to get your father to like you. And as a result bystanders can see what the father's like through the way you're reflecting his character. But the culture of the kingdom of darkness is lying, cheating, fear, intimidation, manipulation. So when we behave like that, we are not representing our father, we're representing another kingdom. Okay? So our behavior change is not motivated in order to gain entrance. It should be a reflection of our, the culture of our king. Okay? Does that make sense to everybody? It's kind of like when they train the royal children, they don't tell them, if you don't hold your fork right, then you are not going to be a prince anymore. Right? That was a dumb analogy. They train them, you know what, you're the royal prince. We don't behave like that. They remind them of who they are. And you need to remember who you are. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Okay. I thought that was going to take 15 minutes. And that took the, almost the whole evening. Okay. That just shows you how it goes in here sometimes. So now that we have covered what it means to be saved and some of the results of getting saved, I want to talk about water baptism very briefly and then I'm going to start introducing the baptism with the Holy Spirit. In the Bible, getting baptized in water comes as a result of someone already being saved. It's a decision someone makes after they're saved. Now, one of the um, symbols in the Bible that about when we get saved, it's in Ephesians chapter 2, the first four verses. It says, you were dead, but you have been raised to new life. Anybody ever heard of that before? So the idea is that you died and were buried, and now that you've come up and you're a new life. And baptism is a symbolic representation of that death and resurrection. Okay? And it's done to, as an outward response to something that's happened on the inside of us. So if you're saved, getting baptized is a way to take an action to show that to other people. 
but it is not a prerequisite to go to heaven. Does that make sense to everybody? Because we talked about the thief on the cross. He was never baptized, yet Jesus told him, today you'll be with me in paradise. So getting baptized in water is a good thing to do, but it's not the same thing as getting saved. It's getting baptized in water. I didn't think that would take very long. That's pretty easy to explain. Any questions on that? Okay. Let's look at the purpose and the effects of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. So Jesus has been with the disciples for some of them up to three years. He has gone to the cross, died, went in the tomb for three days, rose from the dead, and then it tells us that after he rose from the dead, he spent 40 days in his resurrected state hanging out with his disciples. I bet that was an odd time. I have no idea what that would have been like. But right here, what we're about to read is towards the end of those 40 days. So these are the last things that the Son of God is telling his crew before he takes off. Now, before I read this, he's talking to Peter, James, and John, and the disciples, and other people. Do you think they believe and have received? Do you think they believe in Jesus? So what does that mean? That means they're saved. Right? What, that means the Holy Spirit lives inside of them. Right? That means they're new on the inside. They have eternal life. That's already true before he says what we're about to read. Verse 4, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. This is Acts 1-4. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So even though these people are saved, he's telling them there's another thing that's available to you. It's only available to anyone that's saved. Being saved is the only prerequisite for this. Whether it's 20 years or one second. This is only available to Christians, but it is available to every Christian. And it is called getting baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he tells us what it's for. He says, you will receive power the 
the Greek word power is the word dunamis. There's different Greek words for power. Some mean like energy. Some mean power like authority kind of a power. This is the word that's used to talk about miracle power. You will receive miracle power. Miracle power. How does that sound? Would you like miracle power? That sounds pretty good to me. And he tells us what it's for. What's the power for? Now the men he's talking to, their calling is to go and begin to spread the gospel everywhere. Right? The, the original apostles, their mission is to go out and start spreading the gospel. But have, haven't they already been doing that? They have been. They've already been sharing the gospel of the kingdom. They've already been going out and healing the sick and casting out demons. They've already been telling people about Jesus. Is that true? Yeah. And he's saying they're going to get power. What he's saying is you're going to get power to enable you to do your calling more effectively than you could before. It's like whatever you're called to, it's like hooking an amplifier to it. Think of it like this. Let's say there's a foreman who wants to build a house. Okay? And he has this construction crew out there. And they have hand saws and hammers and stuff like that. And they're building the house. And the house is getting built. Some people are more skillful than others. So let's say there's a skilled carpenter out there and he's just tearing it up. And somebody like me is out there and I'm hitting my thumb with the hammer and stuff like that. But we're still getting the house built. Then the foreman, this truck pulls up and it's a truck full of power tools. And he says, I want y'all to have these power tools so that you can do what you're supposed to do better. So that you'll be power assisted in whatever you're supposed to be doing. Okay? And they all can come get them. So I'm running up there getting my nail gun. And now I'm nailing nails in one hit like that. Okay? Does that mean I'm better than I was? Does that mean I'm better than somebody else? No, but it does mean I'm doing a better job than I was before. The baptism of the Holy Spirit does not make you better than anybody else. This is a common misunderstanding. It makes you more effective than you would have been without it. And whatever you're supposed to be doing. Now the Holy Spirit is not a power tool, but I use that example because it helps us understand this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the purpose of it, is to give the believer power to fulfill his calling more effectively. Now, if we keep reading, go over to chapter 2, we're going to see what it looks like when people receive this baptism. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Now when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were, sit where they were sitting. 
there appeared unto them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I want to highlight a couple of things in here. It tells us that it was a rushing wind. It wasn't a reluctant wind. God wants people to get this, and he's excited about it. God's, God wants every one of his children to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's never something that we are going to be talking him into doing. It's God's idea, not our idea. God instituted this. They had never even heard of it before, before they received it, other than Jesus telling them. So when we're going to pray for this in a minute, we're not going to be begging God to do something that he doesn't want to do. We're just going to let him know we're available and we want to receive whatever he has for us. Okay? That's a big difference. God wants you to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Next it says, they were filled with, it says they were all filled. Now what tells us that there was about 120 people in this place where this happened. It included the, the uh, disciples. It included Jesus' brothers. It included Jesus' mother and his sisters. That tells us that Mother Mary spoke in tongues. I like that. Mary was Pentecostal. <laughs> That's a stupid joke. Okay. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they, so they all, it doesn't say only the special people, only the apostles, everybody. And every time in the Bible, there's four times where the baptism of the Holy Spirit is talked about in some level of detail. Every time, everybody there that wants it gets it. There's never picking and choosing. The, it's just do they want it or not. Yes, sir. Right. You prayed to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I did. Now, many people would say that you were baptized in the Holy Spirit as soon as you asked for it. You just didn't have evidence of speaking in tongues at that moment. What do you think about that? Is that I know that people teach that. There's people that I respect that teach that, but I don't believe that's biblical. Okay. okay good. So I'll hear the that's not in, that is not in the Bible. Every time the baptism of the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the Bible and we are given any, any level of detail, well, let me say it this way. All four times they talk about it happening. If you want to look at them later, it's Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, and Acts 19. Every time when people receive it, something happens that is noticeable to everybody around. Okay? It's not they believed it and they went away and nobody could tell. Something happened. Okay? Now, in all three of those stories, it tells us explicitly what happened. And what it says happened is that they spoke in tongues. Okay? There's nowhere in the Bible that it says they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, but this time they didn't speak in tongues. 
I, I know I wasn't. I am certain of that. Yes, sir. I asked for it, but I was expecting God to come take over my body. That is not how it works. That's what some of my friends have a problem with. Right. That, that, I believe that position to be unbiblical, in my opinion. But I'm not going to get in a fight with anybody about it, but that's how it is. I mean, so. But I, when they prayed for me, I was expecting God's going to take over my mouth. But God doesn't do that. God doesn't control people and force people. The enemy behaves like that. Yes, sir. Yes. Oh, no, I wasn't. Yeah. Okay. So it's not that I disagree with you, it's from my personal experience. Mm -hmm. People I've known, they don't know, they have to start speaking. Yep. I, I believe that part of it. What, one thing he was saying was, and it even says it in this verse, they began to speak. Right? That's what I was missing all those years. All those times I was waiting for God to control my mouth. And like you said, God doesn't control you. You get to choose what you do with your body. And when I chose to speak, it's when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's when I spoke in tongues. And that's, they, it says they began to speak as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. To me, this is just like when the, God called Peter to walk, step out of the boat and walk on the water. He didn't float until he put his like he didn't know it was going to work till he did it. Like he had to put his foot on the water to find out whether it was going to hold him up or not. And God met him right there. Another similar story to me is when the boy brings the loaves and the fishes to Jesus. He has a little amount of food to feed 5,000 people. The boy gives Jesus what he has and Jesus makes something awesome out of it. That's what happens when you begin to speak when you're receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
you give God whatever syllables you can make and he turns it into something that makes sense to him. And that's how I began speaking in tongues. That's how everybody I know that's received it began speaking in tongues. Okay? Questions on that? Now one last thing before we pray. I hope I didn't erase it. I did. Okay, remember the diagram. of a human being that spirit, soul, and body. You can look this up later, but 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 14. It says, when I speak in tongues, let's turn there because sometimes people don't believe this. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This is our last scripture before I pray for us. First Corinthians 14, 14 says this. If I pray in a tongue, what does it say? My spirit prays. Not the Holy Spirit, my spirit. When I pray in tongues, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Is that what your Bible says? What's that? Mind. So when you pray in tongues, in a minute, it is your spirit that's talking. The part of you that's flawless and perfect and holy and righteous is going to be getting to use your vocal cords to make sounds. And it says that your mind or your soul does not understand what's going on. That is exactly how it is. Especially the first time you do it. When you first speak in tongues, for a lot of people, there's an immediate war between your mind, who's used to being in charge, and your spirit. And your mind is going to be trying to submit your spirit to logic and reason that's based on the natural world. And speaking in tongues does not fit into that. So if that's your experience, then that tells me you're doing it right. If you're having trouble in your mind, is this real, is this, then that tells me you're doing a spiritual action, not a mere mental action. Okay? And everything you're saying is perfect. And usually the first time someone prays in tongues, it's worship. That's what it was at the day of Pentecost. That's usually what it is. Yes, you have a question. Yeah, uh, it's right before that one, on, on the 13th. Yeah. And, I, and it does say that you can learn to interpret it. I thought we're not supposed to do that because you don't interpret that. You can. Yeah, that's possible. There's times where... We're going to have to, I can't cover that. I don't have time. As much as I want to, I, I can't. That is hard for me to say no to. Okay, so we're, if, for anyone that has not received it before, I'm about to lead us to receive it. Okay? And at, the, at some point in this, I'm going to ask you to start to begin to speak. 
And your job in that point is to believe and act on it. And your spirit, you're going to be speaking syllables that's coming from your spirit. And it's very likely that your mind is going to want to try to figure that out. And you just need to let it happen. Okay? All right. Now, if you're taking notes, I don't have time to read through all this. But if you're taking notes, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus is training his disciples how to pray. And he says, ask and you might receive. Does it say that? It says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. Everyone who seeks finds and everyone who asks receives. And everyone who knocks, it is opened. Then he says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay? So I'm going to uh, lead us as a group to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you have already received it, I would like to ask if you would just participate along with this so that people don't feel self-conscious as they go through this, okay? Is that a, you don't have to, but I would appreciate it. Okay, so I'm just going to, if you want to receive this, you just, I'm going to lead you in a prayer, okay? And all this is is letting our Father know we want what He has. Then there's going to be some steps after that. So if you're interested in this, just repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe this is for me. And I ask you to baptize me with the Holy Spirit. I want to receive every good gift that you want me to have. And I thank you in advance. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So just imagine right now the Father in Heaven has had His precious son or daughter that He loves very much come and tell Him they're ready to receive something He's been wanting them to have their whole life. So He's very excited to give you what you've just asked for. Okay? So now I'm going to lead you in receiving what your Father is handing you. Okay? I base this off of John chapter 7 verses 37 through 39 where Jesus said, If anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink, and out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And by this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit. Okay? So we are going to come to Jesus and drink, and living water is going to come back out. And that is going to be you speaking in tongues for the first time, using your brand new spiritual language. That's exciting, isn't it? So we are going to symbolize coming to Jesus to drink by taking a deep breath in and breathing out. Now this is going to be a practice run just so that you know what we're doing. So we're going to come and drink three times and on your third exhale, I want you, this is just practice, I want you to make an audible sigh just loud enough for you to hear yourself like this. <sighs> That's on your third exhale. Okay? So let's all come to Jesus and drink our first time. Breathe in. And breathe out. And breathe in. And breathe out. And breathe in. Make your sigh. And Holy Spirit, I thank you so much for what you're about to do and letting me get to be here.
game. So we're going to do that again. We'll come to Jesus and drink. And some of you are probably feeling in God's presence already. But what we're going to do now is we'll come and drink again three times. This time on your third exhale, when you make your sigh, you wanna, that's when you're going to begin to speak. Okay? And you're not going to be asking God anything. You're going to be making whatever sounds come to mind. And it's okay if you feel like you're making it up when you first get started. But trust God because He is going to meet you there and turn it into something that makes sense to Him. But you have to begin speaking. Now I'm going to be doing that along with you and then I'm probably going to be praying for the room, but we're going to continue doing that for a little bit just to let us get used to it. Okay? So let's come to Jesus and drink our first time and breathe out. Come to Jesus and drink a second time and breathe out. And come and drink a third time. Make your sigh and just start to speak. Hard and I should.